Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Good morning, church. How is everybody? (laughs) Now, a very wise pastor once said to me that the best thing you can do is preach on a warm morning. Because if you look around and people have fallen asleep, it's because of the humidity and it's not because of your preaching. So he then went on to um, go and preach on the surf tour. So I'm figuring that's why he just likes to see people asleep. Now, those two very powerful Bible readings this morning uh, kind of sum up exactly what I want to look at this morning. Over the past few weeks, we've been exploring this statement that Jesus is King. We've looked at the fact that not only because of his lineage, but due to his actions and who he was as a person, that makes him a king. We've looked at him being the humble servant, the one true king, the restful king, and today we'll take a look at how Jesus could also be described as the wise king. Now on Christmas Eve, Luke talked about how today in modern Australia, our connection with Queen Elizabeth has changed, how her everyday life has no real impact on our everyday life, even though we're still considered to be a country in a commonwealth. Likewise, I think that pop culture and modern times have kind of changed our perception of wisdom and royalty, or in any form of leadership, to be honest. When you look at the portrayal of kings in modern day culture, especially in films and television, you rarely get to see that portrayal of a wise king. When I grew up, I read stories of King Arthur, King Solomon, and they were all about wisdom. But today, when I take a look at modern culture, most of the kings that we look at are either portrayed as greedy men who inflict pain and misery on the people around them, or they are shown as kind of idiots who are easily tricked and perhaps rightfully should not be leaders. I think it really came to the fore for me recently in the, in the latest Disney Maleficent movie, where you had this good and kind king, King John. Now, King John, it says, was loved by all of the people in the kingdom, and it says that he was ruling the kingdom in such a way that people loved and respected him. But at the same time, it portrayed his queen as a cruel and vile queen who was just hungry for his throne. He seemed absolutely not aware of what was going on, and ends up losing his throne to her because of her deeds. Likewise, I can remember being brought up and reading these really powerful speeches by great men like Winston Churchill, Abraham Lincoln. You could tell they were wise men from the words that they spoke. But these days, leaders seem to have replaced those speeches of wisdom with mean tweets and catchy slogans thought up by advertising consultants who are paid with the sole purpose of getting somebody back into an election and winning it. Perhaps what I'm trying to say was best summed up recently by one of my favourite comedians in his podcast. He was asked how comedy had changed over the last few decades. He talked about the fact that when he was a young, up-and-coming comedian in LA, he would go into a comedy club on a stand-up mic night, and because he's very political, he would start to tell jokes about the then leaders of the free world. And he said he would often be booed, even just mentioning the name of a politician, because in those days and times, you did not make fun 
of a leader, a political leader or royalty. He said where things have changed is that now he can get up in one of the biggest stadiums in LA and he can do a 90-minute set on Donald Trump and get cheered all the way through it. He said the same when he was in the UK. He said he decided to slot a joke about the Queen into one of his performances. He did it and he got a standing ovation. So he said that's where our comedy has changed but also our perception on leaders and royalty have changed as well. Like I said, I think wisdom these days does seem to have a little, a very small connection to royal families and political leaders that we're exposed to every day. And I think that's why, as a modern-day society, we also seem to have a problem accepting the wisdom of the one true king, Jesus Christ. Exploring the wisdom of Jesus is no easy task, and it's something that's often overlooked. I think if you sat down and spoke to a lot of people about who are the wise people of the Bible, you would get Solomon, King David, the prophets. But not very many people, I think, would actually come back to you and say that Jesus was one of the wisest people in the Bible, which is probably an incorrect way of looking at it. Because as I read through my Bible and read some of the things about his wisdom, I believe that he's one of the wisest people to ever walk this earth in human form. Now, when I first think of Jesus' wisdom, my mind goes back to that intelligent way that he used to use parables and stories to get his message across to people who had kind of stopped listening to him. I think of those times that he used that wisdom to answer or outsmart those who were looking to try and trick him or to trip him up. Think of the time when in John chapter 8, when a group of men bring an adulterous woman to Jesus and ask what they should do with her. This was an obvious baited situation a time when those that opposed Jesus thought that they'd come up with a pretty smart way to trip Jesus up in a very public way. In verse 5, the men highlight the fact that under the law of Moses, that woman should be killed, and that causes a dilemma for Jesus because he has to choose to either allow the woman to go free and publicly disobey the law of Moses, or to approve of her killing and forfeit his reputation as a friend to sinners, and possibly risk more trouble from Rome for contributing to a capital punishment that had not been sanctioned. But Jesus' wisdom comes to the fore. And instead, he responds with, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. This answer renders the enactment of the legal punishment impossible without requiring his public disapproval of the law. I often wonder how people reacted when they had a first-hand experience with Jesus' wisdom like this? Did they go away and ponder what he had said and end up becoming a believer? Or did it make them more determined to want to see this man punished? We know that often Jesus' parables and stories would take people's conventional knowledge and get them to think about things in a different way. And we see that impact that those moments had on people like Zacchaeus. When I was studying literature at university, one of my lecturers had a very, very powerful saying, and that was, you can tell when wisdom's coming out in your writing because it's when people get angry with you. He used to use Shakespeare and a very little-known French writer, Molaire, as his example on the right and wrong ways to use wisdom when you're using allegories in stories. Shakespeare, most people probably don't realise these days, he was a very smart writer. 
because all of the plays that he used to perform were taking a pretty big swipe at parliament at that time, or kings and leaders. There were often times when he would be asked to write a play for a family, and he would actually mock that family and expose all of their secrets and sins in the play, but in such a way that only the family who was sitting there knew that it was about them. <laughs> Likewise, Molaire, a French writer who decided to use that same skill, but in the wrong way. Molaire was a very, very famous womanizer, and quite often he would be having a relationship or an affair with a rich person's wife or daughter. He would choose to put that into the play that he performed in front of them. As a result, Shakespeare ended up becoming one of the most famous writers of all time and lived to a nice old age, whereas Molaire, they believed, was actually murdered by one of the people that he mocked in one of his productions. We see the same thing here with Jesus. There was a time in Mark 3 when the Pharisees watched eagerly to see whether Jesus would heal a sick man on the Sabbath. Unimpressed at his very wise answer of which is lawful on the Sabbath, to be good or evil, or to save a life or to kill, I mean to do good or evil, or to save a life or to kill, the Pharisees then immediately left and started to plot to kill Jesus. So if you take my university lecture as saying that your wisdom is showing when people are planning to kill you or get angry at you, then Jesus certainly did that in that case. But that leads to a very big question. Where did Jesus receive his wisdom from? If you talk to an atheist, most of them will argue that Jesus was just a very good con man. He was very good at reading through the scriptures and picking out what he needed to do and then standing up in public and conning those that were around him. Was he just a learned man or was he a quick thinker or is it something a lot deeper than that? For me, that could be explained in two very insightful sentences. Jesus spoke the wisdom of God because he was, in fact, the wisdom of God. In ancient times, people sought wisdom from kings on things that we would never dream of approaching our local members or royal family for these days. Kings were sought out to provide wisdom on land disputes, marriage disputes, and perhaps even more importantly, were often approached and asked to bless a, a marriage between a couple before the marriage plans had even gone into, into plans. Or in some cases, they were even asked to pardon the crime of somebody that had been sentenced to death if it was felt that they were innocent or if death was too strong of punishment for the crime that they had committed. That brings me back to the point that if we accept Jesus as the Word of God and the Son of God, then he must also be the wisdom of God because where God's Word is, that is where his wisdom is also. Incorporate that with the role of an ancient king. Do you seek God's wisdom from prayer? Do you pray for advice in your life? Do you pray for advice in disputes? For advice on major decisions? For relationship advice? Certainly God sent his wisdom in the form of Jesus as a way to pardon your sins. He took that death that should be yours for your sin and placed it on his own head, on his own wisdom, Jesus. Go back to that chapter that we read earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul delivers some very strong statements in that chapter. Where is the wise person 
Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and his foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I'll read that again. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul also declares, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Paul concludes that Christ is the wisdom of God and that the idea of Jesus Christ and him crucified is the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages. God's plan provides a way for our sins to be forgiven, but is also designed so that we would not choose that way of sin ever again. Has turning our back on God's wisdom or people not seeking that wisdom helped shape the world that we're in today? I certainly think so, because in the last 18 months of my life, I've been exposed to a culture where wisdom is still sought out every single day. It's not just some little commodity. It's almost completely the opposite way that we view things in our modern day world because the country I'm talking about is Thailand, a country where their royal family and leaders are still revered very, very highly by the people. We arrived in Thailand during a week-long celebration for the king's birthday. And when I mean a celebration, it was a week-long public holiday. Everything shuts down. Everybody wears yellow, which is the royal colours of Thailand. And as a tribute to him, everywhere we went, there were pictures of the king along with signs that read, Happy birthday to our wonderful and wise king. That statement runs on every single page of the newspaper I worked for during royal celebrations, such as his birthday as well. They love their king, they seek his wisdom, and it certainly seems to show in their everyday life. Likewise, the people's dedication and thirst for knowledge seems to spread across their major religion as well. Around 94% of Thai people actively practice Buddhism every single day. And as a result, their religion is treated in a way that I could only dream that Christianity would ever be perceived in Australia. Such is their thirst for knowledge that cities like Batong have dedicated prayer areas in the street. Major shopping centres have prayer areas at every entrance. Drivers slow down and beep their horns outside temples out of respect to the monks who have dedicated their lives to seeking wisdom from Buddha. And all major building developments must be able to show that they have dedicated prayer and worship areas so that workers and visitors have access for them where they can go and pray and focus during the day. Could you imagine if our country still had that thirst for wisdom from their, from their leaders and, more importantly, from God. But that also leads me to ask the question, as Christians ourselves, do we still seek that wisdom from God 
Or do we even value that wisdom that he gave us? I've been joking all week when people have asked me about New Year's resolutions that the only people that can see what's going to happen next year are God and people with 2020 vision. (laughs) But how many people here this week have had to make New Year's resolutions and how many of you have actually prayed about those resolutions before you've made them? You may be facing some pretty important things for next year. Employment, relationships, health. Do you include God's wisdom in those decisions? Do you pray? Do you meditate? Or do you focus on what's God's plan for you when you make those decisions? For some reason, I have a feeling that in modern day society, more people probably ask their Google Home or Siri about things in their life than what do actually sit down and pray to God. There's a big difference in those things, though, because as I saw this week with my brother-in-law, using Google Home and actually trying to get it to play a list of music, it got about five tracks into the list and he asked it to change and to play another song and it just kept on going. You can't rely on your Google Home to always do what is best for you. Sometimes I get a bit of a feeling that perhaps Google Home is the start of Skynet, but we'll talk about that another time. (laughs) You do not get that same response from God. If you pray to God and ask for advice, God's advice will be the right advice. It is not the same advice that comes from your Google Home. In the second Bible chapter that we read today earlier, Jesus was amazed and hurt that the people in his hometown rejected his wisdom and his teaching. Likewise, when the Pharisees were judging Jesus for healing a sick person on the Sabbath, it says that he looked around at them in anger and was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Do we today hurt God by rejecting his wisdom in that same way? I know in my own life that those darkest times have always been the times when I've turned my back on God and his wisdom. There was a time in my younger years when I walked away from the church and from God completely. And I have to say that those were the very darkest times ever in my life. I got to a point where at one point I was thinking that this world would be a better place without me. And it was turning back to God's word and turning back to the Bible that helped get me out of those dark times. So now as we look to next year, are you going to rely on your own 2020 vision? Do you believe that's more powerful than anything that God might have for you? Because I would argue that you haven't prayed or listened to God about his plans for next year. I'm sorry, I mean, if you have, I would argue that if you haven't prayed and listened to God for those plans for next year, then you're going into next year just as blind as someone who's been turning to tarot or tea leaves for advice on how to approach it. Often we forget how the wisdom of prayer can protect us from those who work against us as well. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 tells us, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, 
and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil arrives, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. For me, that is one of the strongest chapters of the Bible for a very personal reason. Uh, A few years ago, a few of us at another church had the idea that we would start up a band. So we started up a Christian band and we called it Armour, coming from that verse in the Bible. Little did we know just how serious we should have taken that verse of a chapter of the Bible. Because in the next few months, every single one of us that was in that band was tested. Tested in ways that we wouldn't never have thought possible. Every time we got together to actually practice as a band, seeing that something would happen. One time the church flooded. It had never flooded before in such a way. Another time one of our band members received a phone call to say that one of his family members had become suicidal and he needed to leave straight away. Every single one of us in that band had a car accident (laughs) in the first few months that we all set the um, band up. And we all put it down to the fact that it was because the band was spreading God's word. We were actually reaching out to the community and was doing what God had asked us to do. And in response, we were getting some uh, little bit of opposition from the other side. So do you want to go into the new year with that full armour of God on? Because not only should you be praying about what you should be doing in the new year, but also be praying for God's protection and guidance for the new year. Perhaps there's someone sitting here today, though, that's never, ever known the wisdom of God in their life before. But perhaps that is something that you would like to arm yourself with as you head into this new year. Perhaps now is that time in your life when you want to accept that God sent his wisdom in the form of Jesus and that he died for your sin so that you could have eternal life and not suffer the way that Jesus did on that cross. If you do believe that and you want to arm yourself with the strength of God's wisdom, then I urge you to come forward and pray with some of the people that are making their way forward now um, that will be at the front for you to be able to pray with. Likewise, if you want to pray and talk about the new year and things that might be troubling you in your life right now, then now is the time to come forward and talk with these people. They can also pray for you and talk to you about those first steps in your journey with God. They're here for you, so please come forward and pray with them. For the rest of us, though, I would like us to look to God's wisdom for all that we do in life, especially now as we head into the new year. And I'd like to finish this morning with this prayer for all of us. Dear Lord, this morning we ask for your wisdom. We pray that as we head into a new year, 
that you will bless us, protect us, and guide us as we live our lives in your will. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us this year. And Lord, as we bid this year farewell, we pray that you will be there for us and as we experience the ups and downs of the new year that we head into. Lord, I pray that at this time you will guide our political leaders and fill them with your wisdom. And Lord, I pray that all of your people will feel your spirit close to them as you bring them peace and guidance in the new year. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you're in the southeast area of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us at our Sunday morning service. All the details can be found on our website at follow.church or you can find us on social media at follow Baptist Church.